1: Hello and welcome to New Books Network. I'm Bernardo Batislasso, and today we have Professor uh, <clears throat> Neil Mackenzie from Adriana Smith Business School and Professor Andrew Perchard, who has a double appointment in Norway and New Zealand. They are talking about their edited book called Varieties of Capitalism Over Time, published by Rutledge and in which they discuss a number of issues as to how different or how we can understand different forms of capitalism and different forms through which business and government interact over time. Neil Mackenzie is, uh, as I said, at the Adam Smith Business School, the University of Glasgow, he previously worked at the University of Cambridge, Wales, and Strathclyde, and has had a number of large research projects. Um, he's currently the Editor-in-Chief of Business History. Andrew Perchard is currently um, with dual appointments, as I said, and used to work at the University of Northumbria, University of Wolverhampton, University of Strathclyde. He has, uh, developed a research profile on the nationalized industries and particularly around coal. and his book aluminum Veil, government global business and scottish highlands published in 2012 by carnegie publishing is a strong is a reference in the field andrew and neil thank you very much for being with us today thank you Bernardo. Nice thank you Bernardo. Be- if before we start, Neil, if you would like to give some career advice to early career researchers on your experiences as an editor, both as a chief editor and an editor of special issues, on you know how the, the process of putting the special issues together and how attractive are they for uh, your career development?
2: Um yeah, so I've I've handled a number of special issues uh, in business history. I've obviously edited a special issue um, for business history, and then the journal itself. Um, we commission about two special issues per year in the journal, and one of the things we look for is an editorial team that is diverse in terms of uh, the career stages of the editors uh so we're quite keen to to develop younger um early career researchers in the field and special issues are a really good way of doing that what i found or what we found is that you get quite fresh ideas you get quite nice um nice insights from early career researchers that you might not necessarily expect um given the stage of their development but what you find is that that enthusiasm rubs off and and becomes a uh Becomes something which is, is really important for the field, for for kind of generating new scholarship, new insights, and so on. So as an early career researcher, um, your ideas are valued in business history as a field, not just a journal. And it's one of the things that you know, I I found I've, I found business history as a field to be a very supportive environment for early career researchers. Uh, special issues are are quite fun. Um, You get to do things you might not necessarily be able to do in more general um, approaches to to journals. You get to push the envelope a wee bit and you get to do work that is often quite challenging. Um, And that's really the kind of purpose of the special issues is that we know there's a gap in the area. We know that we don't have much necessarily to go on. What is, it you, what is it you're going to do? What is it you're going to say? And how are you going to go do this? And you can do this in different ways that you might not otherwise be able to do. That being said, it's not something you should undertake um, with your eyes closed in terms of the amount of work and effort it takes for it because uh, it, it can be quite challenging. It can be quite a lot of work. It's more than you often realize or anticipate. Um, certainly when we talked about doing this special issue, I think it was probably about 2016, when Andy and I first started talking about it. It was a couple of years before we were able to get it into sort of good enough shape where we could host a paper development workshop. And then it was another kind of year or two before the special issue took root. And then, of course, the special issue has since developed from then into this edited collection, which we're talking about today. So as uh it's an experience which is is very, very useful as an early career researcher because what it does. it gives you sight of how things work in the journal publishing field it gives you sight of how things work on the other side of the table and it also gives you sight of how people work and that's that's often the most challenging part and I mean that in a good way because what you see is you see the the effort and the work that goes in from fellow scholars into helping things improve into scholarship and and the, the constructive nature of the process. So I found that, you know, I, I would recommend it to any sort of young scholar um, to try and get involved in these things if they can. Um, equally, don't don't make it the be all and end all of everything you do because there's other things as well, but certainly as a, a developmental um, opportunity. And usually that's a euphemism that older scholars use to get younger scholars to do work for them. But in this instance, you know, Um, special issues really are a great development opportunity for uh, early career researchers to better understand how to position their work, what contributions they're seeking to make, and where that work can go in the future.
1: I, I agree, having from or looking at my own experience of editing special issues at different points in my career, that they were very helpful to understand the process and to get much better grips in you know when you have to go through the journal route to to know how things kind of work and and it's it's um sometimes daunting when you're starting and trying to engage with editorial boards and reviewers and that sort of thing. It's it's you know it's not it's a process that for many is is very um challenging or frightening so the special issue helps you to see that and as well as, as, as gives you um, advantages or in in the sense of providing you with editing skills that you can then use to go to to uh, more formal positions or and, and it's certainly something that people notice in your cv on the one hand and on the other hand something that our colleague Trevor Boynes, who was one of the senior researchers that I started working with. And he was the fir- probably the first person that I edited something with, him being the, the senior scholar. Um, so what he said at the time, and, and always stuck to my mind, is that you, you, know, you launch special issues in two ways. Um, broadly speaking, either you want to find that gap or want to bring a, a field together and see what scholarship has been taking place there or as that was our case at, at the time you want to flag that this is a potent, an, an area of potential research that needs you know that could use attention i think i don't know Andy if you want to tell us a little bit more of this area of varieties of capitalism which is an area that has been around for some time how did the idea of this special issue that turns into the book that we're talking about today um, evolved or or came together.
0: So Bernardo, um, as um, so all of us um involved in editing the collection, um, Neil, um, Chris Miller, who's at Glasgow, and Neil Forbes, who's professor of international history at Coventry, had all worked in the area of business government relations for for quite some time, um, and we'd both collectively and, and separately had conversations about doing something around this area. But we wanted to use it as a platform to explore um, some some bigger issues as well. So overarching issues. And one of the things that had struck us about the varieties of capitalism literature is it, it still remains very narrow in its focus and lacked um, considerable historical perspective within it, so um, this led us to to explore the option of of a a development workshop on it, and then and then a special issue, um, uh, which subsequently led to the book after an invitation from um, Routledge, and in particular some of the areas that we were. Centrally focused on and in, in around varieties of capitalism, was some of the um, criticisms that had emanated not just from historians of that VOC literature and indeed the comparative business systems literature, but also from political scientists as well. Um, in terms of it, it its narrowness on in terms of the the focus on mature industrial uh, economies, um the determinism and rigidity of uh, the varieties of capitalism literature notably in relation to um to organizations and the relative absence of actors um processes um and the limited conceptualization of institutions so all of these um, became very important as we we explored the subject through um, the prism of um, business government relations.
1: There are about um, six contributions to to the to the special edition. and that you know, six or, or, or seven chapters is what you have or sorry, six or seven contributions would have in a special edition. You, you can have a little bit more in in, in in an edited book, which is something that we haven't mentioned or probably we need to uh, emphasize that working in a special edition for a journal is somewhat different than working in a multi-authored book. So um, this idea of linking business government relations, and informing the wider varieties of capitalism is what you were trying to achieve if I understand correctly. And there is something in 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 this literature that um calls my attention and that is the role of innovation pra- implicitly linked to economic growth. So would it be fair to say that what this work tries to understand is how different institutional arrangements can lead to greater productivity and greater innovation and this idea of, of sustained exponential economic growth and, and well-being, Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think that um, what the chapters talk about is, is the various attempts at trying to achieve that. You know, they, they talk about the... The different aspects to this, um, this, this attempt to sort of foster and, and encourage innovation and growth. Um, and what you see across the chapters is the different approaches taken across different territories, um, but even the different approaches taken within territories as well. So if you if you look at the chapter on Sweden, for example, it takes a regional dimension to varieties of capitalism, and what you see is uh, Myra Wilkins point about economies within economies being quite present and, and and on the one hand that's not really surprising you know that that you you see attempts at fostering innovation and growth um vary across individual territories um but equally it's not really present in the varieties of capitalism literature you know there's only a kind of very recent um uh, exploration and identification of the regional dimensions to these different types of economies. Business historians have known this for a very long time, it's not really new for us, but that goes back to the point about the purpose of the collection, which was to really try and connect up the different groups, you know, the different constituencies, uh, both business historians, but also political scientists and regional development specialists and economic development specialists and so on to try and have a conversation to to illustrate how we might learn from each other. Um, part of what we also did was the innovation focus was really important, but we also spoke to Neil Rawlings about the, the specialist. He was the, um, the editor-in-chief and he commissioned a specialist at the time and he'd said to us, um, you should also be looking at the comparative business systems literature because that comparative business systems literature builds on varieties of capitalism as well. So the innovation that you you identify is present within each of the different um, chapters, each of the different countries, each of the different approaches in those countries, but there's also innovation in terms of how we think about these things. So innovation isn't just something that other people do, it's something that academics do as well. And the comparative business systems approach was... One that we thought was quite useful to identify as being a contributory uh, analysis that's present as well within the the different chapters.
1: Would there be something that you want to add to this, Andrew or shall we go and have a run at the different chapters in the book?
0: Well, very quickly to add to that, I mean I think it, you know this is a point that you've you've made Bernardo as um or hinted at. Is that um we were very concerned to pick up really um Gary Herrigel and Jonathan Zeitlin's observations made over a decade ago about um the the problematic nature within business history as well of um the Chandlerian paradigm in terms of um what they refer to as a, a theological hierarchy among Business, global business systems um and I, I see that you know these calls have been picked up again recently in terms of the the predominance of um American studies in particular and and so that's borne out by many of these chapters and um, starting with the sort of more macro picture that uh Martin Shanahan and Susanna Feldman provide in their study of um Uh, cartel registers in 13 uh OECD countries. Let
1: me let me before we go to the to the that first chapter from from Martin and, and Susanna, let me ask you uh another question. In that you've mentioned Chandler, and that brings us to a discussion about um Cold War or post World War explanations as to why the capitalist system and free markets uh, or mar- or a market economy was superior to its to its alternatives being national socialism or being a socialist or, or a communist economy. And, and in my view, I could be wrong, the varieties of capitalism uh, discussion is saying there are different versions of capitalism. not all capitalism is, is the same and and that's something that then kind of starts to permeate but not with a lot of force because we want to have a kind of like a more common front against the the, the reds or anybody anybody else so uh, uh, as that cold war uh, resolves and that discussions then they start to come out then then we have more of this um discussion in the background of of the welfare state and and you know this free market or coordinated market uh economy type of of solution my question then so this is the background long, long background as, as i tend to do but the the question then is when we are are we splitting hairs is it that we try to find all of these differences between market economy and 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 then differences within those economies as well and you know is it, is it, at at what moment do we end this um differentiation or attempt at categorization of different market economies
0: so i i i, th- I mean i think this uh, you know it's a it's a it's a good question to pose i mean i th- i think the importance here comes down to a the point we were making about the rigidities within such taxonomies of uh, of capitalism and and uh and specifically the ahistorical nature of of that and it, you know I, th- I don't think we have to look far to to see the issues with such with adop- adopting such rigid um understanding of institutional environments indeed one of the uh, criticisms i think of um, central criticisms i think of um uh of the the voc literature in particular is around the fact that it focuses overly on on formal institutional rules um so the there's quite a, a profound problem with that i think if if you if we if we adhere to that sort of taxonomy i don't know if neil wants to add anything further to that
2: i i agree i think that the the rigidity was was the issue and that was one of the challenges that we felt that we could resolve not resolve but we could address partly by taking this business government lens because with probably the exception of of maybe north korea every other um country has business government relations at the heart of its um, economic activity and its industrial activity and we're seeing that um, even even despite the different uh, economic systems in play and the political systems in play we're seeing for example the emergence of uh, communist business history where um, Patrick Friedenson and Phil Scranton are looking at communist uh, economies and they're looking at business activities in those communist economies so we we know now probably a little bit more than we did you know twenty thirty years ago about this uh the historic nature of these different types of economies, and the rigidities that were that were proposed through the the taxonomy that um, Andrew identifies are are probably less apparent now than they were back then because we have a much better understanding of what it is that influences the types of capitalism that we see, and. I don't I don't think there's an endpoint Bernardo actually I'm I'm not I'm not convinced there's an endpoint per se I think what we're seeing is this evolution and it's a constant evolution and we have different evolutionary tracks depending on the origins depending on the the nature of the the systems in play and that makes it really interesting to see how we understand different features of business historical work uh, but also things like success and benefits and so on So you said at the very start about the superiority of the Western market um, approach. Now, that's superior because we are measuring it by our own values. So so if you talk to someone, Phil, who is a, a committed communist, they wouldn't say it was superior. They would say it was terrible because you have poverty and everything else and uh, extractive policies for developing countries and so on so i think we need to be careful about how we how we present some of these analyses in terms of the um the axiological positions we take as well but that just makes it more interesting you know it makes it fun to to debate and discuss and and analyze and what we what we tried to do with this collection was to to really take the focus on business government relations as a way of explaining these different types of capitalisms, how they emerge, um, and what what they do in terms of what our understanding of different economies is.
1: Moving on to the moving on to the um, to the con- to the actual contents, you have or or you seem to have tried to achieve a balance in terms of geographies, considering European European um, phenomena like Spain and Greece and Finland, but also the development in, 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 in Asia, like in China, China, Japan, and in Latin America, is the case of Beatriz Rodriguez of um, uh, contribution. I would like to, to leave um, uh, Gretchen Verhoeven's piece on South Africa separately. Um, but, the source material that these people are using is also quite diverse um i don't know if you want to make um make a note of you know the the this variety of sources that also helps to enrich these different views yeah
0: i mean i think we have quite a a significant array and you know i mean so i think as I say, um, Susanna and Martin's chapter um, presents quite an interesting um, contrast in some ways to some of the others in terms of the data they use for cartel registers. Um, Whereas we have some, also some fascinating, fine-grained national studies, um, you know, by people like... uh, uh, Maria Nuria, um Fernandez Moya, uh, uh, Maria Fernandez Moya, and uh, Nurio Pug of um, business in and um, in Francois, Spain, and Zoe Pataki on the business environment and taxation under the military junta in Greece. So I, you've got some really fascinating combinations there of how that data is used, and sometimes in 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 uh, a context in which it's it's difficult to derive that data as well. Um we've also got of course uh uh shen um um on state capitalism in china and, and japan as well uh so i think this this uh and as neil mentioned um the some of the chapters in here on on Sweden and Finland, as well in terms of these regional economies, provide a really sort of rich picture of, of, of some of the source base to to exploring these these questions.
1: Right. Let's go then to the last contribution in the series. Not not because it's uh, it's just the way that it was positioned, which is a Gretchifer um study of South Africa in the 20th century. And she's somebody that has worked quite a bit on the business history of Africa and particularly of, of South Africa. And there is an interesting uh, um, take on this when she's trying to argue how, um, in this case, ethnic lines give uh, a different uh, solution. It's one of the type of things that um you can do in this type of long-term studies being able to bring variables that have not been considered before in your introduction you mentioned other conceptual frameworks that could also come in here for example um some of the work that that you have also done around um Mazzucato's um state as an entrepreneur approach in in trying to help also look at this problem but would there be others as, as, as i mean you've you you have not made an exhaustive list in, in in your introduction but i was thinking for example would there be a space of things like gender for 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 instance in being able to better understand how some of these institutional arrangements take place in a primarily as some people would call it patriarchal or male dominated economy. And this changes towards the end of the twentieth century where we see a rise of of women and also openly um no other inclinations taking the the stage whether this is going to um if so this is this is just one possibility but what I'm, what i'm saying is i'm i'm not trying to explore the issue of gender in in the i'm just saying or trying to prompt what other avenues could be taken to look at this phenomena in a more in a richer way neil
2: i think you're you're absolutely right in terms of identifying that we didn't provide an exhaustive list that wasn't that wasn't the intent um what we're trying to do was was present certain positions and, and certain perspectives. In terms of gender, there's there's clearly you know, clearly examples of that where you have these highly patriarchal economies um, and, and the dominance of men. I think I'd take it another step forward, another step further, I should say, with that, and actually say that uh, hidden networks of influence, so homophily in particular is quite important here, where you see uh, old school tie networks, you know, um, uh, similar social backgrounds, social milieus, and so on, really explaining uh, the the dominance or the the predominance of certain types of industrial structures, uh, certain types of business-government relations, and there's there's increasing work on that, and that's an area which I think is very very rich in terms of if you can unveil these hidden networks of of influence, hidden networks of uh, of power and control, then you start to address these bigger questions about why we are where we are and how we've come to do you know come to this position so there's i think there's a number of different perspectives you could take in that um crisis is quite important as well you know when crises emerge or when crises appear how do you respond to them uh, and i think that there's other features such as you know military industrial complex that we could have you know put um put in as a another perspective but Partly, we were you know, a hostage to what, what we were getting in terms of the interest from scholars in the area. Um, but we know that this is not an exhaustive list. And what we've tried to do with the work is present a, a kind of more nuanced understanding of the different varieties of capitalism we've talked about. And in doing that, we recognise that there's there's lots of other kind of perspectives that could be taken. And the ones I've just mentioned there, I think, would be probably quite, quite interesting to see in terms of how they might explain... Further, what we missed,
1: Andrew, would you like to add something to this?
2: Yeah, so
0: I mean, I I'd say it's similar. It's a very good, you know, very well expressed by by Neil there. I mean, I think the um, you know, this we wanted this collection and the original special issue to be as much a, a jumping off point and to to spark further debates. And it it's um interesting when you you, you know you alighted on Grisha. Verhof's chapter and of course that really points to one of the 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 key features that we thought was was critical in terms of exploring this further which is legacies of colonization and decolonization as well Um, uh, alongside other aspects of that but you know so I think it's really an opportunity to spark off uh some more debates in this space great stuff well you've as a you've produced a number of very interesting
1: things as a as a research team so my last question is what are you working on now who do you want to answer that (laughs) one or the other we're probably hoping for the similar answer
2: well, we, Andrew and I continue to collaborate on a number of different fronts. Um, we have a body of work on aluminium, um, which again explores uh, business government relations in different ways. Um, and we've also been working together on Scotch whiskey, um, which again has a, a business government dimension to it as well. And I mean, there's, there's the, the work will never be done. You know, We know the work will never be complete. There's lots to do. But the business government dimension is one which I I think has a very long mileage. You know, there's an awful lot of work in that area still to be done. And what it it does by looking at different industries, looking at different territories, geographies, um, characterizations, is it helps us better understand the world around us. Um, Partly because business historians post-Chandler have gotten much better at recognizing the role of government um uh, phil scratton and patrick friedenson's book reimagining business history makes the comment that the state is always in it's not just a bystander so these notions of intervention that we hear about um i think are mischaracterizations and what andy and i's work is really exploring is how how much the state is in you know how much and to what extent the state is in and it's not a bystander it's not a a kind of referee that only intervenes when things don't go the way it wants it to. It's very much an active participant and an active uh, economic actor who not only sets the rules, but participates in the game as well. You can see that in the different industries we looked at, in aluminium and in in Scotch whisky, but that also extends to other industries like nuclear power, um, paper pulp, uh, coal mining, uh, tourism... You know, it's not it's not an uncommon position at all. And in fact, if you look at any industry, you will find business government relations are a part of its either its origin or its continuation. And so, what we're working on just now really explores some different um, different components of that, different aspects in terms of what we might look at for business strategies, what we might look at for policy, what we might look at for a combination of the two.
0: Uh- and and to that i I'd, I'd also add bernardo being you know we're both very interested as well when neil was talking about the um, about elite networks and homophily we're also intensely interested in the and that's been reflected in our joint and individual bodies of work around the the moral and political views of business leaders as well um which is is critical in, in in some of this um discussion here and and the space that businesses can occupy in society and I think there's um you know there's, there's much scope in there for for, for expanding the, the subject too and and one of the things that we're we're also looking at in this area um is around the the space occupied by both business and policy around globalization and and deglobalization as well um i mean uh, so a, an example of this is around uh, a, a big project i'm involved with in canada uh on uh, deindustrialization and the politics of our time um which clearly has a lot of resonance at the moment in terms of of the political situation in a number of, of, of countries. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's endless amounts of op- opportunity here to, to explore some of these issues further. Andrew Perchard, Neil McKenzie, thank you very much for being
1: with us today in New Books Network, talking about your book, Varieties of Capitalism Over Time. Thank you for those of us, for those of you who have listened to us today, if you are not a subscriber, please subscribe to New Books Network. And if you are a subscriber, please leave us a note, rank us, or any comment are always very useful. This was Bernardo Batis Lasso. Until next time.